Merry Christmas. You know, I love this time of year. I, I get all geeked out by the singing. I, it was uh, one of our midweek services, and I was sitting next to uh, one of the guys in the, that was a, a member of the congregation. I was just going nuts singing the song. He goes, you really get into this, but don't you, Pastor? I go, I love this. This is my favorite time of year. And it's really a season of miracles, and, and I, you see it in so many different things. It, I, I shared last week, I actually got to take a left-hand turn into this one street, and that just never happens. It happened again this week, twice in like two weeks. It's happened maybe this many times all year. It's crazy. The Detroit Lions Lions are still in the playoff hunt. I want to do a special prayer for them later on in the service. But it's just, it's a crazy time of year. Um, but even, I guess, more on a serious note, so just within the congregation, we saw a gal that had been struggling with cancer brutally, and, and the cancer is almost gone now. And it's just crazy the way that God can work and do amazing things. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was telling me he decided to tithe this year. One of the sermons, I guess, really got to his heart, and so he's going to tithe 10% this year. And he says, I just got to raise to the penny for the amount that I raised my tithe. And, and I thought, when does that happen? That's incredible. And there's just all sorts of stories like that. And, and maybe that colors a little bit of how I look at the season. People seem nicer. There's more hope. More people are open to God. I, I don't know. But, but now that I, I've kind of, kind of given you a, a premise or this idea of the miraculous, tonight is we look at the newborn king, you know, lying in a manger, this little baby that was born in Bethlehem. I, I want to take a look at three specific miracles uh, that happened way back in the day, 2,000 plus years ago, that I think having tremendous impact on us even tonight as we sit in this place. And I say that even with, though we kind of live in a world today where people have largely walked away from God. Um, they've walked away from certainly his, his rule. They've walked away from his love and his care at times. Uh, sometimes they run away from him in different ways. But it's interesting that over the next 24 hours, our world is still different because of him. That Maybe the last few days and certainly for the next 24 hours, everything sort of changes. All around the world, offices will shut down, stores will shut down, traffic will all but disappear tomorrow morning. All because of this Christmas. All because Jesus is involved. And so what is it on this day that makes it so special? What is it about this that makes everything so secondary? And I think it's more than just Santa Claus, because Santa Claus isn't everywhere, right? It's about Jesus. That it's Jesus that makes a difference. So I want to take a look again at these three miracles tonight, and I want to kind of flesh them out a little bit. They happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, but I want to take a look at how they're still powerful for us still today, and their impact is still being experienced by us on a daily basis. So let me give you the first one. I want to first take a look at this miracle of who came on Christmas. It's kind of interesting because when you break down the story of Christmas, when you break it all down, it's really a celebration of an invasion, you know, when God invaded the earth. And I think back, I was born in 1969, so I've always kind of remembered that that's when we walked on the moon for the first time. And that was a big deal. My parents told me it was a big deal, and, and we haven't done that that many times since, and it's still a big deal. There we were walking on the moon. It's incredible. We were conquering space, all this different kinds of stuff. But it's still even more incredible that, that God himself walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. And when you're getting kind of in the midst of all of the Christmas cheer, and when you're watching all these holiday specials, one of the things that can get lost in the midst of this celebration, even of Jesus, is that Jesus was God, right? I think sometimes we lose the sense that Jesus himself was God. He's not just a baby born in a manger. He's not just this, but he was God himself. He said it himself. He claimed to be God. The Bible calls him God. He proved that he was God by dying on the cross and then being resurrected three days later. 
In Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Paul shares this. He kind of gives a snapshot on who Jesus is in the Bible. And he says this, that Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. In fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and on earth. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ created the world. John says as much in John 1. So just to be clear, the that Jesus' beginning didn't begin in a stable or a manger in Bethlehem. What we're celebrating again is not the beginning of Jesus Christ, but we're celebrating the day that he came to this earth. And that changes things, I think, just a little bit. And I say that because I, I meet a lot of people that say, I think Jesus was a good person. You know, and I, some would even say, and he's even a great teacher. I respect a lot of the things that he said. But there's only one problem with that if you get serious about that kind of conversation. And it's this, that Jesus never claimed to be a good man. He only claimed to be God. So he either is who he says he is, or he's one of two other options. He's either a con man and a liar, or he was a lunatic that didn't know what he was talking about. Now, I'll give you an example of that, a modern day element of here. So if I get up here and say, I'm a good man, some of you might say, all right, we'll buy that. You're a pastor. Okay, you know, we haven't seen anything to the contrary yet, but okay, so you're a good man. And so I get up here and again, I'll say, I'm a good teacher. And even less of you might say, oh, okay, you know, there's a few last month that were a little sketchy, but yes, mostly you're a good teacher, pastor. We'll give you that one too. But if all of a sudden I stood up here and says, I'm God and I need you to follow me, that would change things, wouldn't it? And necessarily so, right? I mean, if all of a sudden I stood up here and said that I'm God, you had to choose then if you would believe what I'm saying. You'd either A, have to say, okay, Mike's God and I need to follow him. Or B, that he's a con man and a liar. Or that he's just crazy and he's lost it. Because I cannot claim to be a good teacher and claim to be God at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. And yet that's what Jesus did. He claimed to be God because he was God. And then he proved it and he evidenced it all over the pages of scripture. In John 10 verse 30, it says, we are the same, the Father and the Son. He is in me and I am in him. And to be honest, this is the first true miracle of Christmas. That it was God himself that came to our earth 2,016 years ago. And as a result, he put into motion perhaps the most significant event in history. And that's why we celebrate it. And that's why it's a big deal. In fact, our calendar is split, right? Not today because of it. Every calendar is split between A.D. and B.C. Every time you write a check, you're putting it in reference to Jesus Christ. Even the atheists have to do that to give reference to Jesus Christ every single day of the year. That's how important it is, though. It was God who came to this earth, and it didn't start in some flashy way or some over-the-top way. It started on a cool evening in the middle of Bethlehem on a Christmas Eve. But the first miracle of Christmas is ultimately that it was God himself who came to this earth. There's another one, too, that I want to highlight for you. Because I think the second miracle of Christmas is really found in how he came. God became man. In other words, he became like one of us. He became a human being. Paul says this in Philippians. Christ gave up his place as God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and became like a servant. When he was living as a man, he humbled himself. Yeah, think about that just for a second. Here's God up in heaven and he goes, man, I got to save these people. And so I'm going to become one of them. By the way, it's way better to be God than one of us, right? Less complication as God, more power as God, more everything as God. Becoming one of us is already kind of a pretty humbling thing. 
but he chose to do it by becoming one of us. Now think about what he could have done and still remain true to himself and remain true to God. He could have put on a huge light show, right? Written it in the sky. It could have been thunder and lightning. He could have invented YouTube and cell phones 2,000 years ago and done it that way. That would have been really cool. I don't know how the technology would have all worked, but he would have done that. He could have done it any way that he wanted to do it. And yet given that fact, given that reality, he still chose to come to us in the same way that you and I come into the world as a baby. Every one of us here came in the same way. But have you ever asked yourself, why in the world did he do it? Why did he come as a baby? And the reason scripture gives us is because God said, I'm sending Jesus Christ to save you, not to scare you. And except for a few single guys that are pretty young still, babies don't scare anybody, right? But many people are honestly afraid of God. They don't even like to talk about him. They get a little nervous when you get too in-depth. They're afraid of what it might mean. Do they have to change? Is my eternity at stake? Is this really real? All those different kinds of things start floating around. And so if God had come in thunder and lightning, he would have scared so many people half to death. But again, nobody's afraid of a baby. And here's why that's important. God wants you to know him. The creator of the universe, the one who put all this into action, he desperately wants you to know him. He already knows about you. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. He's watched every single moment of your life. He saw you in your mother's womb. He knew that you were going to be here tonight thousands of years before you were born. And think about the implication of that. Just think through some of the things that you've been through in your life. To know that God sees and he knows and he doesn't get all excited and, and giddy about some of the things unless they're exciting. But he's seen every tear that's fallen from your face. He's seen every hardship, every difficulty, every stress, and he's been there with you. He's been calling out you to trust him and to rely on him so that he can give you strength and hope. He's been there every single moment. And he also knows one more thing. He knows that you desperately need him. His life is hard. He knows all those things, but he also then wants you to know him too. And that's why he came to us as a little baby born in a manger so that we could know firsthand how much he loves us. And in the end, that's a really big deal because the Bible says that you were made to be loved by God. The Bible says that you were created to be an object of his love. The Bible says that God is full of love and that he made you just to love you. And if you don't understand, to understand that, you're missing a whole big part of life. You're missing the purpose of life. In fact, one of the greatest tragedies, I think, is to go all the way through your life never understanding what in the world am I here for? And never knowing the creator who made you. And never having a relationship with the one that loves you. I think that's the greatest tragedy. The greatest waste of life. Because you were made to know God. Just like he knows you. And he gave us that capacity in sending his son Jesus in flesh and blood. So that we could know firsthand. And as such to receive his forgiveness, his healing, his hope. And to be honest, that's what Christmas is truly all about. He came as a child so that we wouldn't be afraid of him. He came as a human being so that we could relate to us. And then finally, the, this, the, the last miracle, which I think is probably the greatest one of them all, is the why he came. You know, as you go to scripture, you see that he answers that one too. And he says that he came for our benefit, that he came for you and for me because he saw a need. Listen to these verses when Jesus explains why it is that he came to this earth. In John 18, verse 37, Jesus said, I was born for this purpose. I came to bring truth to the world. And you think about this postmodern world that we live in where everybody kind of makes up truth as we go. 
We know it's probably not ultimate truth, but it's true for us at that moment. At least it's working for us, we think. But see, Jesus had a different view. He knew what ultimate truth was. He knew what absolute truth was. And he came to bring that to us on Christmas so many years ago. He spent the whole of his life, especially the last three years of his life, teaching us what that truth was. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came to give you life, life in all of its fullness. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, I came to save the world, not to judge it. And so are you hearing why he came? Truth, life, forgiveness. And that's God's Christmas gift to you. He said, that's why I came. I flesh that out just for a second here. See, first he says he came to bring you truth, and you start saying truth about what? Well, truth about ourselves, to be honest, because we don't even understand ourselves most of the time or why we do the things that we do. Truth about God, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about him. Truth about life, about sin, about repentance, about salvation, because there's a lot of phony philosophies out there that lead to a very dead end. And if you don't build your life on the truth, you build your life on a lot of faulty, found, faulty foundations or at least a lot of faulty information and then you'll have to go through life making bad decisions and having unnecessary stress and unneeded problems because God never meant for you to live that way. It's convenient, I think, to think that we can be the ultimate judges of what is true and what is not. But God says, I've got a better way. It's my way. It's the way that I've revealed to you from the beginning. But when we follow the truth, life starts to make more sense. And that's not coincidental. It's on purpose. Jesus said it just like this. He says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free to be the person I created you to be. Free to live the way I've called you to live. Free to be my child. And you start asking, what's the truth? (laughs) The truth is, is that you matter to God. Sometimes I think we miss that that's the message of Christmas. That we actually matter to the creator of the universe. That we actually matter to our God that he so loves us that he sent his own son to this world to save us because he saw the need, because he realized we were destroying ourselves. And so God left his home in heaven, came to this earth in the form of a baby. He grew up and lived a perfect life and then humbled himself while dying on a cross. He was resurrected. And then he went back to heaven. He says, okay, now you can come. I fixed the whole thing. I provided a way for you guys to get to be with me forever. You see, that's how much you matter to him. I think the greatest tragedy in life is to go through life not knowing why you're here. God made you for a purpose, an amazing purpose. And his purpose is to love you and for you to know him so that you can love him back and have a relationship that lasts longer than just this earth. Jesus said this again. He says, I came to save you and not to judge you. When the angels announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds, he said, or they said, behold, a savior is born in Bethlehem. And I think we get this idea of being saved. Like if we were drowning and somebody threw us a life preserver, hey, thanks for saving me, man. Or, or if we are going through some huge trouble or something like that and somebody comes and rescues the day, we're saying, thanks for saving us. But you'd be surprised at how often I talk to people and they really don't understand truly what they need to be saved from. You know, as you go to Scripture, you see that the Bible says about heaven that it's a perfect place. That there's no sadness in heaven, that there's no sorrow, no sin, no sickness, no problems, no pressures at all in heaven. Heaven is a place of absolute perfection. It sounds awesome. But it also says that only perfect people get to go there. 
We've got to let imperfect people into heaven. They wouldn't be perfect anymore, right? It would be like earth. And obviously earth is filled with a lot of very imperfect people. Kind of reminds me of a sitcom that was on a couple years ago or maybe last year where somebody gets into heaven and on accident or something and the whole thing plays out. But you start thinking about that for a little bit and you say, well, if only perfect people get to go to heaven, then it means I'm not going to get to go. And you're right, and neither do I, because none of us stand a chance. You see, that's why God had to come up with a plan B. God says, none of you are perfect. You've all sinned. You've all fallen short of the glory of God. So I can't let you into heaven because I'm a righteous God and I hate sin and somebody's got to pay for what you've done. So, I don't know if he took a vote or asked for volunteers, but nobody stepped forward and he said, okay, I'll do it. So he came to this earth in the form of a human being. He says, my name will be called Jesus and I will live the only perfect life that's ever been lived. And then I will die on the cross to pay for everybody's imperfections, for everybody's sins, for everybody's rebellions. And then if they will just trust in me, I will get them to heaven on my own goodness because they're not good enough. If you think about that just for a little bit, it's an incredible deal. It's the most incredible Christmas gift anybody has ever offered to you. Because again, there's two ways to get to heaven. One is to be perfect, to never sin, to never think any bad thought, to never do any bad thing, to never say any bad thing to anybody, always be unselfish, never hurt anyone intentionally or unintentionally in your life. And if somehow by chance you're able to navigate life by just being perfect and always doing the right thing at every situation, then when you die and you get to go before God and you ask, why should I let you into heaven? You could say, because I was perfect. And he'll look at his book or whatever he uses and he goes, yeah, you're right, come on in. But the reality of things is that you lost that chance a long time ago. And so did I. So God's plan B was to live a perfect life to himself on earth, to show us what it was like, to teach us the way, and then to allow himself to die for our sins. So that when we stand before God and he asks us, why in the world should I let you in? We can say, well, it's not because I've been perfect. You know that's true. But Jesus was. And it's not that I've loved you perfectly, God. I've tried, but I, I stink at it. But Jesus loved me perfectly. And I put my trust in him. And he said, if I would just believe in him, if I would just trust him, then I could get into heaven because of him. So God will say, okay, come on in. My son's blood has redeemed you. That's pretty cool news. And I received this Christmas card a while back, and it said if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need on earth had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an accountant. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so he sent us a savior. And one day, Jesus Christ, he stretched out his arms and his hands on the cross and they nailed him to it. And he paid for all of my sins and all of yours. And in essence, said with his arms outstretched, I, I love you this much. That's God's Christmas gift to you. He came to save you. He came to set you free from your past, which is what forgiveness does if you let it. He came so that you would know him. He came so that he could heal some of the stuff in your life that's been broken and been bothering you for years. And in every way, those are God's Christmas gifts that he wants you to have this Christmas. And my prayer is that this would be the year you'd finally let him pass some of the hardness of your heart. You'd finally let him pass some of your resistance. 
and that you'd receive the most amazing Christmas gift of all. And that's Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus tonight. It's a perfect night to say thank you. It's a night that you looked down on this earth and you saw how much we were in need of a Savior. That we couldn't do it by ourselves. That we were messing things up. That we were going wrong ways. That we were complicating our lives. Ultimately, Lord, that we were separating ourselves from you. And because we mattered to you, which is truly the message of Christmas, you sent us Jesus to love on us, to teach us, to encourage us, to lead us, and ultimately to forgive us so that we can be for you, with you forever. Tonight of all nights, Lord, we thank you for Jesus and for your love. And we pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen.